Welcome to the Albany Update with Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Now, with this week's Albany Update, here's Jason McGuire. Thank you for joining this week's edition of the Albany Update. Recently, we discussed the annual March for Life, and now that the 2022 March for Life is behind us, I'd like to tell you a little more about why this march mattered so much. And looking at federal news, the biggest story of the week was the announcement that United States Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer will be stepping down from the bench. This means that President Joe Biden will likely have his first opportunity to appoint a justice to the nation's highest court. Then turning to state news, we'll see an effort by Senator Jeremy Cooney, a Democrat from Rochester, to offer preferential treatment to lesbian, gay, and bisexual business owners. It's affirmative action for the LGB community. Following that, we'll look at how the Democratic supermajorities in the New York State Legislature are attempting to mute the voice of the Republican minority in both floor debate and the gerrymandering of legislative districts. Finally, we'll take you to Ithaca, New York, where grade school students are encouraged to use their preferred personal pronouns and helped their school create a webpage riddled with resources for their, quote, LGBTQIA classmates. To make matters worse, the school board seems to be fully on board with the agenda. It's past time for more believers to run for school board and other elected offices in this state. Let's get started. On January 21st, the annual March for Life was held in Washington, D.C., and despite the cold weather, tens of thousands marched to the Supreme Court in support of the right to life. The theme of this year's march was Equality Begins in the Womb. This year's march was notable for the attendees, hopefulness and excitement due to the possibility that the Supreme Court might finally overturn Roe v. Wade in 2022. According to the Associated Press, speaker after speaker expressed a growing sense of optimism that their long-sought goal was finally in reach. One attendee, Reverend Andrew Rudman, spoke of past marches where it would be great to be united with people who share my beliefs, but there would also be this heaviness. This time the whole language and vibe is different. Speakers at this year's march included U.S. Representatives Chris Smith, a Republican from New Jersey, and Julia Letlow, a Republican from Louisiana, and other pro-life members of Congress, as well as actor Kirk Cameron, Alliance Defending Freedom attorney Kristen Wagner, Down Syndrome advocate Katie Shaw, and activist Tony McFadden. Jeannie Mancini of the March for Life told attendees that we are hoping and praying that this year, 2022, will bring a historic change for life. However, Mancini added that if Roe falls, the fight for life will need to continue in the states and here in D.C. Jeannie Mancini is right. As we pray for an end to Roe v. Wade, let's also work hard against federal and state efforts to keep abortion available. Next, an upcoming vacancy in the Supreme Court of the United States will offer President Joe Biden his first opportunity to appoint a new justice to the court. On January 27th, Stephen Breyer announced that he would retire from the Supreme Court this summer, provided that a replacement has been appointed and confirmed by that time. Justice Breyer, 83, was appointed to the court by President Bill Clinton in 1994. He has been a reliably liberal vote on the court. Planned Parenthood has called him a champion for civil and reproductive rights. Due to his advanced age, and due to concerns that the Republican Party could retake control of the U.S. Senate following the 2022 midterm elections, 
and then could potentially block future Supreme Court nominations made by President Biden, Justice Breyer has been pressured to retire by voices on the political left. President Biden is expected to choose a Supreme Court nominee by the end of February. During the 2020 presidential campaign, then-candidate Biden pledged that if given the opportunity to nominate a Supreme Court justice, he would nominate an African-American woman. The president recently reiterated this pledge. There are two problems with the president's pledge. First, just as it would be wrong to discriminate on the basis of race by insisting on a white appointee to the court, it is wrong for President Biden to discriminate on the basis of race in the opposite direction. Writing the wrong of racial discrimination does not mean engaging in new racial discrimination in an effort to manufacture racial balance. Regardless of political affiliation, presidents should appoint Supreme Court justices on the basis of merit. Demographic considerations should be irrelevant. Second, the president's pledge has dramatically limited the pool of potential court nominees. When selecting Supreme Court nominees, presidents typically choose federal appeals court judges. Eight of the nine justices currently serving on the court were once federal appeals court judges. However, the female African-American judges presently serving in the federal appeals courts either are senior citizens or are relatively inexperienced, having served in their current roles for less than a year. While several attorneys and judges have been nominated as potential Biden Supreme Court nominees, one judge appears to be the frontrunner. Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson has served on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit since last year. Previously, she served for eight years as a judge on the United States District Court for the District of Columbia. Judge Jackson graduated cum laude from Harvard Law School, where she served in the Harvard Law Review. She has experience in private practice. As an assistant special counsel to the United States Sentencing Commission, as an assistant federal public defender, and as an appeals litigator. Like Justice Breyer, Judge Jackson would be a reliable liberal vote on the court. Nevertheless, if nominated, she is likely to be confirmed with bipartisan support. Now, turning back to state news, government's potential responses to any given behavior include criminalization, discouragement, neutrality, non-discrimination, and promotion. Over the past few decades, American law and public policy on homosexual behavior has rapidly moved from criminalization to promotion. Before 1962, every state in the United States banned same-sex behavior. In 2015, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that same-sex marriage, which by necessity involves government promotion and affirmation of homosexual behavior, must be allowed in all 50 states. A pending bill in the New York State Legislature would require New York government to promote same-sex behavior in a new way. The Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act, or MURDA, that was passed in New York last year legalized recreational marijuana. It also stated that the Cannabis Board would promote diversity in the legal marijuana business by striving to award 50% of adult-use cannabis licenses to social and economic equity applicants. The term social and economic equity applicants includes minority and women-owned businesses, among others. While Senate 7603, sponsored by Rochester Democrat Jeremy Cooney, would amend the MURDA to add lesbian, gay, and bisexual persons to its list of social and economic equity applicants. In other words, if Senate Bill 7603 Cooney were passed, 
the state of New York would give preferential treatment to a business owned by a self-identified lesbian, gay, or bisexual person that applied for a marijuana license. This is affirmative action based upon sexual orientation. According to the bill memo, the social equity aspect of the MURDA is meant to uplift historically marginalized groups through economic opportunities in the cannabis industry, and this bill furthers that effort. The state of New York made a big mistake by passing the MURDA and inviting big marijuana to set up shop in New York, but Senate Bill 7603 would take a bad law and make it ridiculous. Who says that persons identifying as lesbian, gay, and bisexual are oppressed and need affirmative action? How does the state intend to verify applicants' stated sexual orientations? Might an applicant falsely claim to be lesbian, gay, or bisexual to give his business a better shot at receiving a license? And would this law be the beginning of a string of other affirmative action programs that give preference based on sexual orientation? And how will transgender persons react to being left off the bill? New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms is unaware of any instances of LGBT affirmative action currently under law, and will work in Albany to keep it that way. Then there's this. Recently, events in the New York State Legislature reflect attempts by a majority party, in this case the Democrats, to game the system to their advantage. On January 25th, the New York State Assembly voted 101 to 43 to change its rules on debate within the Assembly Chamber. The rules change limits debate on an individual bill to four hours and allows each legislator to speak for only one 15-minute period. Historically, the Assembly has not limited debate. In this fashion, the lack of a time limit has enabled the minority party to slow down the passage of bills it opposes. Republican lawmakers made passionate arguments against the proposal, but those arguments failed to move the Democratic majority. City and state New York described the rules change as, quote, the latest blow to the already dwindling influence for Republicans, not only in the Assembly, but in the state legislature as a whole, end quote. On January 27th, the New York Post reported that the Democrats intend to gerrymander New York's 11th congressional district, currently represented by Republican Representative Nicole Maliotakis, in an effort to make the district more heavily Democratic and make it difficult for Representative Maliotakis to be re-elected. Because New York's Independent Redistricting Commission failed to submit agreed-upon redistricting maps to the legislature in a timely fashion, the legislature now has the authority to create its own redistricting maps. At present, the Democratic Party holds large enrollment advantages over the Republican Party in New York's congressional delegation, 19 Democrats to 8 Republicans. In the New York State Senate, it's 43 Democrats to 20 Republicans. And in the New York State Assembly, 106 Democrats and one Democrat-affiliated Independence Party member to 43 Republicans. Nevertheless, the Democrats reportedly wish to draw district lines that will entrench or even increase their majorities. To be fair, both Republicans and Democrats have histories of gerrymandering in New York, but gerrymandering is wrong no matter who does it. The legislature is expected to vote on redistricting maps as soon as the week of January 31st. And finally, recent events in the Ithaca City School District illustrate the importance of parental engagement and involvement in public districts and in public school boards. A video posted on December 15th, 2021, 
shows fifth graders at Ithaca's Bell Sherman Elementary School making a presentation to the Board of Education about their successful efforts to bring gender-inclusive bathrooms to their school. As if that weren't shocking enough, the Ithaca City School District has an entire page on its website entitled Resources for LGBTQIA Students. The webpage begins with the following grammatically incorrect sentence. Affirming and supporting our lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, asexual plus, youth and staff of the Ithaca City School District are vital. The website's resources for students include a guide for supporting transgender students in K-12 schools, downloadable stickers for use in identifying one's preferred personal pronouns, a gender change form, links to the websites and LGBT youth groups, a transgender hotline, and not surprisingly, a link to Planned Parenthood's website. The website's resources for teachers include links to best practices for serving LGBTQ students, information on how to teach LGBTQ words to elementary school students, Planned Parenthood information on how to talk about identity with preschoolers, and a teaching transgender toolkit. After hearing all this, you're likely wondering how this kind of insanity managed to make its way into Ithaca. Well, the answer is complicated, but it comes down to this. Christians do not get involved in school boards. It's time to change that. So on March 4th and 5th, our organization is hosting a campaign school in Rochester, New York. I hope you'll find out about our campaign school and consider running for school board or some other elected office yourself. It's right around the corner, but you'll find more information on our website. You have been listening to the Albany Update, hosted by the Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms exists to influence legislation and legislators for the Lord Jesus Christ. To learn more about this ministry, issues you've heard on the program, or to make a financial contribution in support of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms, visit albanyupdate.com or call 585-225-2340. Additionally, you can mail correspondence to P.O. Box 107, Spencerport, New York, 14559. You can receive the latest legislative updates at facebook.com slash albanyupdate. Follow New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms on Twitter at Albany Update or sign up to receive the weekly Albany Update email by texting the word FREEDOM to 22828.